Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, February 7th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Staff Writer Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Happy Monday. Yeah, and like every Monday, uh, we usually have you on, Ryan, to discuss the box office. And this one was interesting because... We had two big movies this weekend. One was like a, a mega blockbuster costing, I guess, near $200 million. And the other was a, a, a small comedy. Which one won out? Uh, in, in an utterly delightful sentence to speak, uh, Jackass Forever dethroned Spider-Man No Way Home at the box office after its nearly <laughs> two-month run uh, only to be dethroned by Scream but once. Um, yeah, Jackass Forever took $23.5 million, and as many people have pointed out, this is the first live-action comedy to debut in theaters in, like, two years, because a lot of them got sold off to Netflix. It's been a while. And, um, yeah, this is also an, an interesting thing that not a lot of people are talking about. No Jackass movie now has ever not debuted at number one. Every single Jackass movie for 20 years now 
has debuted at number one at the box office. Um, just genuinely incredible stuff. You really would have thought that Paramount might have shifted this to streaming, but they were wise not to. The movie only carries about a $10 million budget, so this is going to be a lot of profit for them, and it you know keeps another theatrically viable franchise on the tracks, which is really important right now. Uh, given that Moonfall, the other big movie that came out this weekend, uh, Roland Emmerich's, in my opinion, very entertaining disaster movie that cost $140 million to make, uh, only made $10 million in... I mean, that's just about as bad as it gets, you know, in terms of uh, return on investment up to this point. So the only thing is with disaster movies, even the ones that do well, it tends to be a lot of international audiences that show up. Um, but I mean, you, you're looking at a tall order right now for, for, you know, trying, trying to, 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 to maybe make enough domestically to hope that the international can bail you out. Uh, another interesting thing is that Lionsgate distributed it, but it was essentially an, an independently financed movie as it was largely financed through like foreign sales. So... It's kind of interesting. I don't really know how all that works in terms of everyone trying to get their slice of whatever pie is there. But, uh, yeah, not a good thing. Um, just kind of takes another... I don't think another... there's enough pie for everybody to to uh, be satisfied at the end of the No, dessert. no, not at all. And, and I think the other thing is, you know, as much as we're all lamenting what can and cannot make money at the box office right now, it is kind of shocking that a big disaster movie with, like, a big A-list cast can't even like get a middling amount of money you know so eh, yeah kind of kind of pretty brutal on that front um yeah those were the two big releases and then the other thing worth pointing out is that uh, the worst person in the world neon's release only opened on four theaters and had like a thirty-three thousand dollar per screen average uh which was uh so that's good for like the indie box office if that can keep up uh that's something we desperately need but you know, those were the big highlights. Spider-Man continued to make a lot of money, and what else is new? Okay, so Jackass, is that considered a success? Because I know Jackass 3D opened with, like, 50 million, and, of course, I was riding high on, like, that 3D um, yes. upcharge. And uh, Jackass number two, when did that even come out? <laughs> Long time ago, 2006. 2006. Yep. Yeah, that that even did more than this, twenty nine million. So basically, this is uh, just beating out Jackass the movie, which came out uh, twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, just shy of twenty years ago. So, is this a success or a disappointment for the Jackass franchise? Oh, gigantic success! I I think so. For first off, you're looking at if you're looking at it barely beating Jackass two. That's kind of like on the COVID curve. I'd say you're pretty much on par with what Jackass number two did. And I and also Jackass three had the higher budget of all of them, I believe. So you know, you're looking at this one got they got the budget down again to ten mil. I mean, COVID, not COVID. If you have a ten million dollar movie that opens domestically to more than double its budget, how can that not be a win? You know, and 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 the idea that from from a from a framing perspective that Jackass was the thing that was able to dethrone Spider Man very firmly and overcome Moonfall coming out the same weekend. You know, that to me is, you know, a win 10 times over, that's a win. Uh, you know, and I suspect if Moonfall hadn't come out this weekend at all, that it might have made even a little bit more money. I think there might have been some audience share there. Um, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I fail to see any any universe in which this could possibly be considered a, anything less than like an absolute win. 
okay, so let's talk about Moonfall for a second because I don't know. It, it seems to me since the pandemic, since movies have been returning since uh, this pandemic started, it seems like horror and big blockbuster movies have been the things that have been winning out. So it, it seems like something like Moonfall, you know, that has a pedigree of like Independence Day to 2012. Totally. Uh, you know, all the movies that Roland Emmerich has done should have performed a lot better than this. And especially with, you know, it has some stars in it. Why do you think Moonfall failed so badly? I think I think what it demonstrates more than anything, and again, we'll have to see how the international turnout c- comes in, but I because th- I think the one and only knock against, like, Jackass taking number one is that you're also talking about a nostalgia-driven franchise again. You know, like, so even though it's weird to think of Jackass in that way, that's really what it was. And Moonfall was based on nothing, you know, other than, like, a crazy conspiracy theory. So, like... I think that the thing is, you know, you could argue that people don't want to see, you know, ugly disaster stuff after living through a pandemic. But I think Don't Look Up did so well on Netflix that it's hard to say that's the case. I think it's just that people are only going to leave the house right now for something that they know what they're getting. And Moonfall, being that it wasn't based on anything, being that it's not connected to anything, I think hurt it more than I would have thought. Um you know, because even like 20, 30 million would not have been great for a movie of this size. But yeah. I honestly thought that's where this movie could have landed. But I mean, 10 million is 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 nothing. So I don't know. The fact that the fact that Spider-Man in its eighth week barely lost to it is, I mean, man, oh, man, you know, that's. But, yeah, I think it's just the simple takeaway is that people are only going to go to a theater right now for for just <laughs> a for guaranteed something they know and. Boy, is that limiting, and I don't really know where that leaves us in a few years, but, you know, it's kind of rough. Yeah, uh, that, that is rough. You, you know, I went to see both of these movies over the weekend, but I also have that AMC A-list, which yeah, you're almost losing money if you don't go see a movie, at least one movie a week. Um, yeah. Did, did you see both of these? I did, yeah. I, I saw Moonfall at a press screening um but I would have went, I mean, for the record, I absolutely would have went anyway. Like I, I, uh, and I, and I had a very good time with like, again, we talked about last week a little bit that like, if you know, if you're sort of buying what the movie's selling and you go in with the right mindset, <laughs> I, I, you know, the cinema score on it wasn't very good. I, I don't think anyone expected critics to like love it. So whatever, but it's at like 48%. You know the, I was going to say, you know why the cinema st- score I think is low is I think, um, and our own Jacob Hall said this when he saw the movie. They're selling it as this big disaster movie, like the stuff you usually get from Roland Emmerich. Yeah. But it really is a sci-fi action movie and not a disaster movie. Yeah, I, I explained, but I but I sort of like that turn person. Like like I when I came home, my roommates were actually interested in the movie, and they were like, you know, what is it? I'm like I'm like if 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 I gave you a hundred guesses and a big bet as to where the third act of that movie goes. <laughs> You're never going to get it. I'll bet any amount of money you want. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it goes places. But, I, yeah, I don't know. It. Uh, I guess the main thing is that, like, as much as I was happy about Jackass, it just the the shockingly little amount of money that a movie that that it feels like a lot of people could have latched onto, you know? Like, like the way the culture sometimes latches onto weird things. Uh, yeah. I, I, man, it just it's shocking that it made that little. Um, I don't know. It, 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 uh, 
it makes me feel pretty cynical about the prospects of, of what can maybe make money over the next year. Yeah. And by the way, we should probably take this time to plug your latest edition of Tales from the Box Office. Uh, why, why don't you tell people about that and uh, what, what that's about? Uh, yeah, it seems based on the feedback I get that people like it when I talk about box office. So I assume <laughs> anyone that listens to this might already know. But I have a column that I do for us every week called Tales from the Box Office. And I tend to tie it to either an anniversary or something or something that is relevant that is being released. So this year I looked back at Jackass the movie um, and sort of how it, it came about as a result of MTV no longer really being able to do the show the way they that the show needed to be done. So Paramount was like, no, we have this cultural phenomenon. Let's go ahead and just give you some money and do an R-rated version of it on the big screen. And and how that sort of led to a, just a wildly unlikely franchise that has endured for 20 years now. Um, you know, I, and, I'm, and I do really looking at the wide scope, I do think it is... It is, especially the level of success it's sustained and achieved, genuinely one of the most unlikely franchises, I think, in, in, in popular cinema history. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's uh, that that's up on Slash Film right now. I, I, I uh, had quite a bit of quite a bit of fun writing that one. So, yeah, we'll link that in the show notes. I, I'm honestly surprised that they're still able to make these jackass movies. It seems like. It would be such a liability, and I'm sure there might be an article out there somewhere explaining like how Paramount does this. Maybe you have some insight in how Paramount does this, because I'm guessing it's like it's some other company that's producing the thing, and then Paramount ends up purchasing it at the end. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's like, well, no, because Paramount owns, you know, because <laughs> Paramount was MTV's parent yeah. company, so it's produced their MTV studios with. Uh, honestly, I don't know. I guess they just must have like. A crazy legal team to because i mean you know if you've seen the movie i mean not that we're spoiling anything there's a point in the movie where someone gets very hurt <laughs> you know like and and yeah. uh, like very hurt and and uh you know I, I i i don't know i mean whatever i guess i guess the other thing is too with you're making them this cheaply you can sort of say like a lot there's probably some money in reserve for paying out for injuries or you know, anything like that. So I imagine there's probably a little bit of cushion money there, like outside the budget that like, if someone gets hurt, they get a little payout or something. I don't know, but I'm happy they keep doing it. I don't know how they do it. I'm with you. It's weird that the studio can do it, but I love that they do it. I agree. Um, okay. Let's move on to some other news. Let's talk about star Wars really briefly. So Andor is this film that's cut or a series that's coming to Disney plus and this follows the character from Rogue One. This is a prequel series from Tony Gilroy. And we, it's interesting here. So I think when this was announced, we assumed this was going to be a limited series. It was going to be a one, one and done, like one season and done kind of show. Yes. But uh, over the weekend, uh, Stellan Skarsgård had let it slip that he's, he's, back for a second season of the star wars show uh in what did you say in autumn of this year so apparently they're already gearing up to film a second season of this show which is it's kind of weird to me because you know already you know i think there's a limited time period that you can be working in here where very i mean this yeah. <laughs> very limited because he has to meet K2SO in this season, we assume. And I, I can't imagine there being that many years in between that and Rogue One. 
No, this is one of those weird prequel to the prequel things. And like, I like the idea of the show because some of the best stuff in Rogue One is like centers around Cassian sort of like, you know, the dark, the dark side of, of, of the rebellion. And like, that stuff's really cool. Like one of the opening scenes in that movie, like when he's got to kind of take out that informant, like that's so brutal. And you know, like there, there's a lot of like darkness there in Cassian. I'm a little worried they're going to go a little softy on the show. Uh, and, and, but yeah, like the two, I really feel like you're, you're probably, you're, I maybe use this phrase too much, but you're pulling a lot of taffy. I think if you get two seasons out of that, uh, I don't know. Uh, but, but I also know that like limited series are tough because like the problem that the reason a lot of streaming services went away from that for a while was like, you, you do a limited series, you build up all of this audience and promotion and goodwill and then it's just done at the end of one season. So, like, you know, where, like, Mando was able to, like, explode in its second season and, like, you know, other shows have, have done really well, like, later seasons. So so a, a single season thing is a tough sell, even in Star Wars. But um, I don't know. I have concerns as a Star Wars fan about <laughs> about stretching that out. But Well, we just learned that Mary Elizabeth Winstead was cast in the Ahsoka show. And I I was theorizing on this podcast that maybe she was playing Hera. And it seems to me, if you're doing an Andor series, that maybe you could introduce that character. Well, actually, which one comes out first? Does Andor come out first or Ahsoka? I think Andor. We don't have release dates, though, but Andor is done, though. Ahsoka, I don't even think has started filming yet. Or if it has, Mm. it's better. So Andor is definitely first. Like, so I think we're getting Obi-Wan in May. That has more or less been confirmed. Like, my guess is that's the Star Wars Day release. And then I, I would think Ahsoka would be after that. So you'll probably get Obi-Wan, and then I'm thinking you'll probably get She-Hulk. Like, you'll probably go Star Wars Marvel, yeah, Star yeah. Wars Marvel. So then you'll probably get Andor after that. And then maybe I think Miss Marvel later this year. Like, Which you know what I mean? weird gonna... because Miss Marvel's, like, been done done <laughs> it's like i think they but they postponed it for some reason because they think they had to do reshoots and yeah. stuff and what whatever yeah. it, it, it but yeah so i th- if i were to guess that's and then and then you'll probably get ahsoka early next year and then i'd guess you get mando season two mid next year yeah that that would be my uh not that anyone asked but that's my guess <laughs> okay talking <laughs> about uh tv shows that we were not expecting it seems like Warner Brothers has been quietly working on an Edge of Tomorrow TV show? Not so quiet now. Uh, Yeah, so this came out uh, in the way that any major studio wants their announcements to come out, through a lawsuit. Uh, Warner Brothers has had a partnership with Village Roadshow Productions for quite some time, and Village Roadshow co-produced and co-financed the 2014 sci-fi flick Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, A sequel has been in some stage of development pretty much ever since. Um, and, uh, lo and behold, in the age of streaming, someone at Warner Brothers decided, hey, let's turn this into a TV show. Well, the only reason this came to light is because a court filing, uh, has revealed, uh, because Village Roadshow is suing Warner Brothers over the release of The Matrix Resurrections, that, uh, they were essentially trying to strong-arm Village Roadshow into, like, sort of surrendering the rights to be able to produce a, uh, Edge of Tomorrow TV show. No confirmation from Warner Brothers, no plot details, no word on, like, if it would involve Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, if it would be a full reboot. Very, very, very scarce. And it <laughs> and it doesn't even... And at this point, I am no legal expert, but it does not seem that it would necessarily be possible to proceed with it 
until this thing with Village Roadshow is settled. So I guess the interesting thing here is that this makes it seem very unlikely that the actual theatrical sequel will ever happen. Um, mm. That that would be my thing. And as someone who really wanted to see that happen, that is disappointing. But that, to me at the moment, that is the big takeaway, is that is that we are not going to get the movie, probably ever. So, I will say, though, Edge of Tomorrow as a premise would work so well as a, a, a premium channel, like a HBO Max TV series. Uh... Uh, uh, sure. You don't I, like sure. it? Don't I'm like not going to. I'm just tired of everything getting turned into TV. I'm tired of I'm tired of stretching movies to six to eight hours just to make it fit a TV model. I'm tired of watching big budget effects on TV because, like, you can clearly tell how that works. Um, I just wish some things could just be movies. And I think, like, the first movie was so good. Uh, and I felt like, you know, if you want to explore that world further, a movie was a good way to do it. And I think it's tough to get Tom Cruise on a TV budget, so I feel like he's not in it, and you're kind oh, of going. He, he, he's definitely not in it. I would bet you that the that the idea for a TV series is maybe like the Emily Blunt character, or like a prequel, maybe. But we no, know I, I, ends, my, my so biggest would... guess is that it would just be like full reboot, like they just full take reboot. the concept and because then because then the idea is you don't have to pay the stars or anything and. Oh, I'm not saying get Emily Blunt back. I would just, they would just recast her as someone. Yeah, but you kind of already told all the interesting parts of that story in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like the the Rita Potaski, Angel of Versailles thing. Like, I don't know. Is there enough there to even like, yeah, I don't know if that would, I don't know. This is where I get into the whole, I don't want to see it as a TV (laughs) show thing, but um, I don't know. I still, I I have, I maybe, God, we're not near enough to an anniversary. I was going to say. For Tales from the Box Office, it'd be interesting to look at the whole Edge of Tomorrow thing just because it was such a fascinating, like, debacle from Warner Brothers' marketing standpoint. And well, the movie kind of overcame that on some level. Is Edge of Tomorrow even the title? What was the title that it was released under? Well, no, no. It was released as Edge of Tomorrow, but then there was, like, Live, Die, Repeat, like, and then, like, uh, it was originally titled All You Need Is Kill. <laughs> And yeah, it was a mess. Um, I don't hate the title Edge of Tomorrow as much as other people do, but the problem is like Warner Brothers really botched the marketing on that movie and like word of mouth essentially forced that movie to become a modest success. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's I'm, beside the I'm point. Actually su- I'm actually surprised that they're working on sequels and TV shows because it, at the time it seemed like it was kind of, uh, you know, critics and fans liked it, but it, it seemed like it w- didn't quite, it, you said, you say modest success, but it didn't really seem like it at the time. Maybe, maybe now with DVD and streaming yeah. and stuff like that. Well, look, this gets into the whole, like, what is a success thing, right? Cause like we're getting a Mad Max Fury Road sequel and Mad Max Fury Road made a lot less money than Edge of Tomorrow did, you know, like, like, you know, and like, uh, you know, this is where studio accounting fi- fascinates me, but, 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 uh, but yeah, like, so no, Edge of Tomorrow relative to expectations maybe didn't make, but it made almost 400 million worldwide. So like, that's kind of Pacific Rim money. You know, I think you can see where maybe there's money on the table there. <laughs> and I think yeah. Warner Brothers saw the potential in if you hadn't botched the execution of this, you know, you have easily a $500 million worldwide movie. Uh, I don't know. That's 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 where I say like modest success versus like big success. But one man's one man's opinion. Okay, let's uh, let's move on from from that to Spider Man. Uh, we have an article on the site. Uh, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse two producer teases ties to the MCU multiverse. 
And, uh, you know, that's a question that we've been kind of asking when, you know, since we knew that they were going to have these two sequels lined up uh, from producers Lord and Miller. We were wondering, is it possible now that the MCU is playing with the multiverse, is it possible for us to see characters from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? In uh, are are we able to see the MCU characters in 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 them in those movies? And while appearing on Josh Horowitz's Happy Sad Confused podcast, Lauren Miller kind of touched on their plans for the Spider Verse films. And uh, here's what Miller said. And uh, maybe Ryan, you can tell me. Maybe you can read between the lines here because I, I'm I'm a little unsure if this what he's saying here. He says, "quote The multiverse is big and wide, and all things grow. Why would you think a multiverse in which many things are possible that those things are not related?" And then Lord continued. It says here, amusing but sarcastically. Everything's possible ex- except for the one thing that everybody wants. So, it, 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 on one, if if I read that first quote, I'd be like, "Ooh, he's teasing that like there is the possibility of us seeing the MCU uh, Spider-Man in the Spider Verse." And then the second line makes me think otherwise. What what, what do you make of this? Everything, obviously, the multiverse, like as we're seeing with what DC's doing, as we're seeing with Marvel, literally anything is possible the reason the multiverse is so appealing to a gigantic corporation is that everything counts when you want it to count yeah does that make sense like like you can you can ignore something for as long as you want to ignore it until it becomes convenient not to ignore it um so i think like what you're dealing with is into the spider verse is a sony production so anything within the sony verse is possible I think what he's saying is like in terms of that one thing you want, yeah, you maybe can't get like the actual MCU people in there because then you're dealing with Marvel and then it becomes a whole other thing. Can you get Andrew Garfield? Sure. Can you get Toby? Sure. Maybe get Tom Holland? Maybe. Can you get like Doctor Strange and other people showing up? No. You know, so it's like I think I don't know. I think that's kind of maybe what he's getting at. You don't you don't think you can because like I feel like th- don't they have that one for them one for us kind of thing where like Marvel and Disney give Sony I think for that's probably for the live action stuff though I don't know if they're going to bother with that with a with an animated flick um Hey, why yeah, not? Yeah, I think th- these I think- are the guys that did a live well, spoilers for the Lego movie coming up. But these are the guys that did a live action sequence in the the Lego movie. What if one of the Spider Verses that Spider Man goes into in Into the Spider Verse ends up being a live action scene with Tom Holland and like Doctor Strange or something like that? Mm. <laughs> Do you, I feel like that would maybe take some of the magic out of what the Spider Verse movies are, though? Because those are pretty rich, like from an animation <laughs> standpoint. And I feel like you'd undercut that a little bit. I think that worked in the Lego movie because of what Lego is and the connection yeah. we all have to Lego. Like, that's why that stuff in the Lego movie works so well. I think if you do that in Spider-Verse, then you're kind of, like, really jumping the shark a little bit. 
Um, really? Because all the different multiverses in the Spider-Verse movie, or at least these upcoming two, because we haven't really seen the other multiverses yet. Yeah. Uh, we've seen I see what the... you're getting at. I, I see what it... you're getting at. <laughs> I don't know. But again, he says it's the, the, the one thing that everybody wants can't happen. So is that the one thing everybody wants, or is he being sarcastic? I don't I don't know. I, I, I don't know. My, my, my sense is that... My sense is that he's he's sort of gauging like, sort of looking at like the the <laughs> overall like what everyone wants, you know? Because I think like there's a lot of people that just want to see this movie, you know, like for whatever it it, it may be. Um, yeah. I don't know that. I think maybe what everyone wants is the movie I've pitched a lot, which is I think like <laughs> going to happen the live action Spider Verse movie thing. And I think we'll get that in another way. I don't think you need to do that with... I don't think you need to, to, to worry about the brand of these Spider-Verse movies becoming like that. I think you can have some fun stuff happen, but I think you can, you know... They really built something that can sustain itself. And, you know, I, th I think they're probably better off just... Yeah, maybe you sort of, like, imply a lot of stuff within the multiverse. Because there's, like, ways to do that, right? <laughs> like, you can imply a lot of things. You know, like, yeah. back when... You know the original Raimi Spider-Man movies were getting made. You know, like you drop Doc, uh, 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 Doctor Strange's name in there. I feel like Agents of Shield did that really badly. Yeah, because they were like, they were like, please let us in, uh, like the whole time. But and they had every right to want to do that. But but uh, yeah. yeah, so that that would be my guess. I don't know. Um, I would just fear going straying too far from the path of what made that first one so successful. And I think Lord and Miller are well aware of that. Well, we'll see. I, I think we had, who was it? Tom Holland or someone was like, you know, I'd love to be involved. And then, uh, one of either Lord or Miller on Twitter was like, call me or something like that. Yeah. But so. can we even trust what anyone says anymore? Like after everything that happened with no way home, like, that's my only thing is like, I, I, I can't trick anything. Anyone says at face value in an interview, ever again like yeah. the amount of times andrew garfield convincingly lied like to, and then like you know so i don't know like anytime yeah. someone's like boy it sure would be nice i i who knows anymore i don't think we ever covered it on this podcast but i love that he even lied to uh oh my god what's her name uh gwen stacy from oh emma stone yeah yeah Emma Stone. Emma Stone was texting him. And yeah. It was like, "Wait, are you in it?" And he was like, "Nope, don't know what you're talking about." And then, like, she yeah. saw the movie and it was like, you "And they asshole. like dated for a long time. They were like yeah. a serious, yeah." <laughs> that takes on a whole other level of like, "Oh, damn, you were lying to her." Uh, yeah. Although there is that weird rumor floating around that like Sony wants Emma back for like a Spider Gwen movie, which I totally buy. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. And, uh, and, cause I how think they're going to work multiverse. That's how you make everything work. <sighs> well, cause if you know, spider Gwen story, she's from another dimension in which Peter Parker died, you know? And so like, it's all the, like her, her uncle Ben is Peter Parker and then she becomes yeah. so like, so it's an alternate universe version of Gwen Stacy in which you maybe kill off a cgi de-aged andrew garfield's peter parker and then like later on in my weird live action spider-verse movie that i de we're definitely getting at some point you know like you have gwen stacy show up and then andrew garfield's like oh my god it's her i love her but it's not really her and then you got all this stuff to play off of and like yeah i could totally see that 
Okay. With that, we have finished this episode. If you want to find more of this podcast, you can find it on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at And please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.